1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 to 19. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you were insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Thank you, Greg, for reading God's word to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you give us understanding of your word. Uh, We ask that you help us to apply it into our hearts and lives, that we might live your word in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, this is John who asked me this morning, have I got something underneath here? I do have a thermal T-shirt here, and Adam is very kind to me. He's put a heater here. Keeps me nice and warm. What a great job that Adam does every Sunday, coming here and keep putting on the heaters for us. Thank you. Well, friends, does justice matter? Does justice matter for us? We saw this past week, the Victorian Supreme Court judge, Jeffrey Nettle, sentenced Adrian Bailey for the brutal rape and murder of Jill Ma as she was walking home after a night out with friends. Bailey was sentenced for life imprisonment with a minimum of 35 years. Justice was done. That's what the family said. Some others feel otherwise, that they should have been imprisoned for life. Well, justice, it really matters, doesn't it? We all expect and we want justice in this world. We want the judiciary to be free from political interference and to exercise justice fairly. At the international level, we have the International Court of Justice in The Hague, in Holland, Uh, We had the opportunity to travel to Holland a few times, and I remember when we as a family were in Holland, we in fact drove. I drove on those big... Driving in Holland is a real challenge. If you've driven in Europe, you know what I'm speaking of this morning. We drove to The Hague because I particularly wanted to see uh, the international court there. It's quite a massive building, all the flags in place, International Court of Justice, where... Uh, world leaders and others are brought in to answer for uh, their for what they've done in the world, for the wrongs that they have done. And so justice matters in this world. And so, th- so that those who do wrong can be brought to account for their actions and pay the penalty for their crimes. And so we all want proper justice. If the judiciary fails the nation fails. If the judiciary fails, then there is no justice. If the judiciary is corrupt, 
then we have no one to look, look to to exercise justice. And we praise God that in Australia we have a strong judiciary here. Uh, cannot be corrupted, we trust and hope that that will be the case always. And so today, we want to pick up from uh, our continued study of one book of 1 Peter, from verses chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 17 through to 19, which is our text for this morning. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God. And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So friends, as we get closer to the end of the world, the dawning of the kingdom of God, the return of Jesus, and the judgment of the living and the dead, there will be intense opposition towards God's people. The Bible speaks of that. And we've already noted previously that Christians suffer persecution in this world because they bear the name of Christ. Some suffer more than others, but God does use suffering for his purposes. As we heard with the kids' talk this morning, when all things don't go on well, don't work according to our plans, we know that God is in control. And we take comfort from that. And so in the world, there is persecution. We see this in the history of the church. Uh, just as today, we see persecution in this world. Let me just give you one of many examples of how God used uh, persecution and suffering in one sense to bring many uh, to uh, to faith. I think of uh, Jim Elliot, who never published a book during his life. He was 28 years old when he was killed in 1956 as a missionary to the Auka tribe. But his wife Elizabeth Elliot captured his life and mission in Through the Gages of Splendor and the Shadow of the Almighty, which were published within two years of his death and are still in print today shaping the mission and the history of the church. And I want to encourage you to read about the, the history of missions and to see how God has used missionaries who suffered intensely and some who died and who were killed. And through them, the gospel has prospered in many parts of the world. Has it not? And the gospel that went to India and see the work that goes on there. The gospel that's gone to Africa and to China and to other parts of the world where God has raised missionaries and their families and they suffered and some were, were killed for their faith. And so was Jim Elliot and others where a spear was sent through them. And Jim Elliot's body was found floating in one of the rivers. In fact, he called his wife uh, three hours before he was, he, he was to be killed. He didn't know that. He said, we are going to share the gospel with the Auka tribe. And he and his friends were there. And there were about 30 of these people coming. And he called his wife and said, I will call you back in three hours. Because the Auka tribe, they are coming to us. But little did he know that that was the last time 
he would be in fact talking to his wife. And three hours later, he was killed. And today the work of the gospel continues to prosper there. A mission statistic that profoundly challenged Jim, Jim Elliot was this. This is what, what really motivated him. He said, there is one Christian worker for every 50,000 people in foreign lands. Well, there is one to every 500 in the United States. <laughs> I wonder whether that is kind of true here in Australia as well, right? Christian workers. There is one Christian worker for every 50,000 people in foreign lands. Maybe more now. While there is one to every 500 in the United States. So Jim is one of many who suffered and was killed on account of his faith in Jesus. And so Peter speaks about that kind of persecution. And Peter shows us how to respond to fiery trials in our lives for being Christians in this world. For example, in chapter 4, verses 12 to 14, which we have seen already, he says, Don't be surprised when suffering or persecution comes your way. Be rejoicing because God is in control. Be assured that the Spirit of God himself rests upon you. That's a beautiful picture, and I expanded on that last week. That the Spirit of God rests upon you. And he says, look ahead to the glory that is to be revealed. And so it is within this framework that now we have a shift in this passage about judgment that Peter comes in. And as I was analyzing the passage, trying to work out the syntactical order here and to see how this aspect of judgment fits in in chapter 4. And I think it fits in very well with what Peter is really saying here. For it is time for judgment, verse 17, to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Think about that. Peter here is echoing the teaching of the Bible concerning God's judgment, his justice. It is one of those confronting aspects of the gospel. I say it is confronting because the arguments, the argument is made that God is love. Alright? God is love. And we praise God for that. He is love. God is love. There is no questions about it. And so the other side of the argument is this. If God is love, then he cannot be just. <laughs> if God is love, he cannot ex- exercise judgment. Well, that is kind of a wrong aspect of our theology. If you take it that way only. I say it because the Bible explicitly says God is love, but it is a failure if we do not understand the fact that God's love also includes his justice. must be very clear. God is love, but he is also just. And this might be exceptionally hard for us to accept today in a postmodern society of 2013. But notice what Peter says. It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. What's the household of God? Who are they? Um, there's no anatri this morning. Right? <laughs> the household of God is, is us here. Right? We are the household of God. Right? God's people. Right? And judgment begins in the household of God. And the history of God's people indicates that judgment always begins within the covenant community of God's people. For example, the Israelites were sent into exile before the wicked Babylonian empire was judged. 
That's what God did. And here in our text, we see that judgment begins with the household of God, his people. And the first thing we must note here is that the term Peter uses for judgment does not necessarily mean punishment for our sin. Rather, the word has a broad meaning. It involves also a judgment that gives an approval or is for the purpose of discipline, though not necessarily for any specific sin. The fiery suffering that comes into our lives is at times used by God to judge us, though not necessarily as a consequence of some sin that we have committed. Sometimes God uses suffering to test our faith, right? Sometimes he uses that to test our faith as we have noted. He does this so that we may display our deep commitment to him. Sometimes he uses uses it to strengthen our faith. Maybe you have been through a trial in your life. We all go through trials, right, from time to time. And sometimes we wonder, is God really there? Is he really caring? Does he really love me? And through that trial, God may have brought you stronger. And today, I'm sure, if I was to ask you to give a testimony, many of us will be able to stand up and say, yes, at the time, it was difficult But now I see God's hand of grace upon my life. And through that trial, he has displayed his marvelous splendor. Right? I see some of you nodding your heads. Right? And we've seen that through. And through it all, we share a testimony of God's amazing, his amazing grace, his sustaining power through all of those things. And we look back and say, God, You have been my refuge and my strength, my shield and my sufficiency. So sometimes that happens. So this word here can can mean that as well. The kind of judgment verse 17 tells us will also be poured out on those who do not obey the gospel of God. Now look at that text there. If God's judgment comes to the household of faith then what will become of the ungodly? And Peter quotes from Proverbs chapter 11. And uh, we have these words with that recorded for us in Proverbs 11. If the righteous receive their due on earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner? For them it will not result in, in purification, but eternal condemnation. Those who are judged without knowing Christ, the Bible tells us, will not have eternal life but condemnation. Judgment ultimately belongs to God alone. He alone will execute his justice. He is the one who will judge the righteous and the wicked. And on that final day, the Lord will judge the secrets of men's hearts by Christ his Savior. See, the Apostle Paul says this, this will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. He will admit into his eternal kingdom only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Final judgment is surely coming and nothing and no one can stand in the way of our faithful creator who makes all things new. Friends, a day will come when everything will be exposed. 
If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And I want to ask us this morning a question. Do you pray for the lost? Is there an intentionality in my life, in your life, and the life of this church for gospel sharing? I put the question out there. Just for a moment, just, just think. How many cars drive past this place every, every day? What did somebody say? Thousands. Thousands of cars drive past this place. I just asked myself the question, I was discussing it with someone else this past week. Will people really miss this church if this building was brought down and a McDonald's was put here? I, I hope it never happens. I hope never. But will, will it be missed in the community? Will it be? I don't know. I don't know. I hope. I don't know. You see, this is the point, isn't it? There's a world that is passing by here, right round. And I ask myself always, every time I come here, I come to my office and I pray at home, Lord, who is going to reach Surrey Hills and beyond for Jesus? So I'm not putting any guilt trip. Please don't get me wrong. Right? We need to be praying. I mean, there's, a, there's an urgency here. That this final judgment, no one can stand, my dear friends, before the judgment seat of God unless the gospel has been shared. And I pray, and that's why we are doing two ways to live in our growth groups. You might be struggling with the study. You might come up with all kinds of things about the study. But we are doing it as another tool for us to use so that we can share this gospel with someone else. Yes, the diagrams, you can't, I might not want to draw the diagrams. You're trying to memorize the diagrams, the crown and the man and the, the man's on the other side and all of those kind of things. Hopefully, it's a helpful tool for us to use so that when we meet over a coffee, we can say, man, or sister, no, well, man, what are we going to say? I want to share something with you. I want to share about God's love to you and what Christ has done for me. And I want to encourage you this morning. Please, please, pray with me to reach Australia for Jesus. Yes? We are sending missionaries everywhere in the world and praise God for that. But there is also a mission field that is here in Australia. Pray that we will reach Australians for Jesus. We thank God for our CRE teachers and the work they do. And we need to pray for them. But also that we, that God will use you and me to reach our family and friends for Christ. An urgency to share our faith is not an option. It is not for the gifted only. It is sharing the gospel that Jesus is the only way to God of being intentional. And then Peter says this in 4.19. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator, and continue to do good. When we are suffering in the will of God, that is not suffering because we've done wrong things in our lives. We already touched on that. We might be experiencing hostility. These people were experiencing persecution under Nero and others. But here we read in verse 19 that those who suffer according to God's will must entrust themselves 
to their faithful creator. We commit ourselves into God's care. The word that is used here is a banker's term. It's a very interesting word. The word means to deposit for safekeeping. Like when you go to your bank and you deposit your money there, you expect your bank to hold that money, right? I was speaking to a banker. We have a few bankers here, senior bankers here in this place, right? In in the global financial crisis, one of the major problems was was the problem with the banks in the U.S. And we thank God that in Australia we have strong banks. Yes, they might earn so much of profits. Don't you think when you get the news and think, man, those guys are earning so much of profits. But we want strong, we want a strong banking system to maintain the economic viability and stability in the country. And if the banks fail, then we have a problem. And so when we put our monies in the bank, for example, we want that bank, we trust the bank, we put our monies in there because we trust that they will take care of it and give us a good return, right? That's why we put our deposits there or investment accounts or superannuation accounts. We put our monies in. I was in hospital last week. I had to go and pick up my dad from hospital. It took me three hours. I just sat there waiting, waiting patiently. It's all right. And then comes this TV program about superannuation and how you could be, you should be having one million dollars apparently when you're between a particular age, 62 to 82. That will give you one, if you have one million apparently in a super, you'll be able to live comfortably. I was sitting there and thinking, man, I'll have to take two other jobs. Or the congregation will have to give me a special offering. How am I going to get one million bucks in my super? I, I, I don't know. I should bring it up with the Prezi Church. I would love to retire, go out to Sri Lanka, stay on the beach. Anyway, the point is, we put money in our superannuation accounts and everything else so that we can trust them, right? You look for reliability. You look for, you look for trustworthiness. And so this is what it is here in the text. The point is that when you're depositing God's bank, you have nothing to fear. In fact, Jesus used a similar word in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 23. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. And so we are to commit our lives into the hands of the faithful Creator, uh, John Calvin writes, it is, a, it is certain that we are guided by God's hand and that we are in no danger of shipwreck as long as we have him as our pilot. Notice that Peter qualifies the word creator with the adjective faithful. You see, God's goodness stems from the fact that he is creator. His character extends to his creation. In his goodness, God didn't just create the universe and let it go by itself. That's the deistic position is that the deist maintain that this world just keeps going on. Rather, God preserves his creation as the creator. He nourishes and cares for his creation. He made man in his own image with the ability to interact with the rest of creation. And God is the faithful creator. What a reminder. What a comfort, what a hope, what a joy, what a glorious peace to know this faithful creator. I ask you this morning, do you know him? Do you trust him? 
Do you know him as your creator, the God who made you? The God who has given you the breath of life? Each time your heart is pumping, boom, 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 it is going. Last night I had to go to the chemist to get some medication. And you know, you go to some of these chemists, they got the, uh, the, the pressure pump there, right? So I tried this, put the thing on my arm and put my pressure. I just walked to the chemist. It was a little bit high. I thought, oh, that's not really good. So the girl comes to me, how's your pressure? It's not so good this afternoon, this evening. Then I sat down for a little while, put it back on. It was fine. That's good. Right? For a moment you think this machine, this, 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 this not this machine, this, this body that God is given is going boom, boom, boom all the time, right? And it is in God's hands because he's the faithful creator in life and in death. What happens, what anything may happen, I'm always in God's bank, safe in the arms of of Jesus. Are you? This is the joy, my dear friends. This is the joy of the gospel. This is what makes me come up every Sunday here and preach. It's the joy of knowing my faithful creator. No matter what happens, our life is in his hands. Amen to that. Amen to that, friends. And so Paul and Peter goes on. And he says... Keep doing good works. And I don't want to spend too much. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff here this morning about good works. Peter says here, continue to do good. As we live, do good. Uh, Paul says this, that God prepared us in advance to do good works. Good works, are we doing it? In, in the Gospel of Matthew, For I was hungry, Jesus said, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. We are saved by grace through faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. We are created and saved to delight in doing good works. See, I read about this guy, and I quote him, and... uh, Continue on. I read of uh, the Roman Emperor Julian, who is also known as Julian the Apostate. Uh, he was born in uh, AD 332. He was the nephew of the first Christian emperor, emperor Constantine. He was trained as a Christian, yet he, he is known as an apostate because when he became emperor, he opposed Christianity. He publicly denounced his conversion and Christianity. And you know what he said? He was very furious with Christians. He was actively opposed against Christians. And when examining how Christianity continued to prosper, this is what he said. This is what he said. It is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg, and the impious Galileans, that is Julian's term for Christians, support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us, Or basically the Jews take care of the Jews and the Greeks take care of the Greeks. But the Christians, not only do they take care of themselves, but the Jews and the Greeks as well. And he was furious. And how was it? It was because of good works. Friends, are we prepared to do good works? Can we have a soup kitchen? Can we give food parcels? 
Can we get involved in the community? Something that I want to explore with the leadership of our church, that we will do good works in this area. All right? So as we wind up, wind up our service, uh, as the, the messenger this morning, in fact, James, I'll say, a quote James, uh, uh, James talks about this as well, about good works. As we, as I bring this message to a close, God's justice will be met. He will satisfy the claims of his justice. In Jesus, our faithful creator has provided a way to show mercy without doing away with justice. His son Jesus alone stood in your place and in mine. And if we do not trust him to satisfy God's justice for us, then we will have to one day endure the full brunt of God's justice. Justice will be done. And all mankind will stand before the judge of all, Jesus Christ. And all those who have persecuted his people will receive the justice of God. Revelation chapter 6. Let me read a section from that please. When he opened the fifth seal, I, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. And the testimony, you, every Bible look at Revelation chapter 6. And the testimony they had maintained, they called out in a loud voice, How long? How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Verse 12, I watched as as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black. His sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Verse 15. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in the caves among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can withstand it? Who? 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 None. Is there anyone here this morning? who does not know Jesus. Maybe God is speaking to you today. And you die one day, and you stand at the entrance to God's kingdom, and God was to ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom? What would you say? Oh, I did attend the Presbyterian Church in Surrey Hills in 2013. I played in a music group. I did this. I was a preacher. I was a minister of the church, surely. It's only the blood of Christ. God says, my justice has been met for you in my son. And so, I have paid the price for you. Come in. Let's pray.